And we are back with guitarist extraordinaire Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush. Um, my understanding is there, there are bands going out now on tour and playing live, but they will actually use recorded tracks during your performance. How does that? How do you feel about that as a as a musician, an artist? I, I don't know. I don't. I don't think it's. It's not like when it was Milli Vanilli, you know. Right. Um, it, it, whatever. If you go out there and you have the kind of equipment we have now that can produce the proper backing tracks, if it makes the the show better, um, it doesn't detract. I think from the fact that you're still playing. You're playing. You're just playing with a fuller orchestra. It's almost like saying you went out with an orchestra, but it, that orchestra is on digital. I mean, even guys like Paul McCartney are doing stuff like that. So I don't really feel bad about that. No, I, I think it, it, if it's used wisely, it can be very good. I think I was reading in. I think it was Guitar World. Uh, it, they were saying that you have were known for having one of the most elaborate, complex sort of setups as a guitarist. Uh, well, I built is, is my that own accurate? gear. Yeah. And I've built my own gear for many years. And as a matter of fact, that's what I'm doing now is I'm building pedals that people, that because I want other guitarists and particularly young guitarists to, to, uh, to have the sound that I have. I think that, uh, look, I mean, there's a lot of, a lot of people play guitar and the thing that differentiates one guitarist from another these days is probably the tone and the sound. And, you know, I, I build, I've been building my own preamps and my own amplifiers and my own pedals for a long, long time. And so I decided now that I'm off the road, I'm going to build these pedals and, and offer them to, to whoever wants them. So I started a, a website called Frank Marino Audio. And, uh, and I have three pedals that I designed and, and that I hand build and that I sell there. And it's, so it, it used to, I used to have a much more complicated setup than I do now. It's uh, it's much simpler, but the tone is, the tone is really, really good. Again, with the electronics self-taught, uh, you're, you're yeah. rebuilding amplifiers and, and, and effects pedals. Yeah, it's all self-taught. It's all self-taught. It was, it was it was necessity being the mother of invention, you know, because when I started, yeah, I wanted pedals, you know, I wanted to be able to make sounds. Like I, I remember, I said that Jimi Hendrix played the amplifier. Well, yes. so did I, and and I wanted to make sounds, not just to move my fingers on a guitar. And there was no pedals. What was there? It was a couple of fuzz tones, and there were very there was a dearth of pedals. So I started having to learn how to make them or how to take the ones that were made and modify them so that they did something different. And uh, at first it was experimentation and try this, try that, take this part out, put that part in. But then eventually I said, I better learn about electronics because, you know, I'm, I'm breaking more than I'm fixing. So <laughs> I did. I know that you were hoping to get out um, and tour again, and then COVID came along, and uh, and then now you're, you're saying that you know you're you're off the road. Uh, what is happening with you? How is your health these days? My health is not great, so I have a, a, a I have a weird 
Well, I have two problems. I have a weird medical condition. It's a systemic condition that I don't really want to explain, but it's supposed to go away on its own, and so I stopped touring because of that until it goes away. But when I was making the pedals, I ended up damaging my left hand. <laughs> so now I'm going through physiotherapy uh, to, to, to get my finger back to work again because I'm having problems even picking up and playing the guitar. So both both conditions I'm told by the doctors that I see are going to correct themselves. If and when they correct themselves, I may consider, I probably won't tour again, like, you know, big tours, but I will do one-offs and small tours in certain areas if, you know, health permitting. Do you miss it? Do I Performing? Miss? Performing I miss live? I sound checks. And I miss the meal after the show. <laughs> uh, those are the fun. Those are the most fun parts. Um, but the sound checks are, are really, really fun because you get to play all kinds of weird stuff that you'd never dare play during the show. What about recording? Do you miss that? Well, I have. I have all the recording, the ability to record my albums here where I live. I had a studio for a long, long time and really full-on studio. And I basically took the gear to my house and left the studio there. And so I can make recordings here. But right now, at the moment, I can't do anything because of my hand. But that's supposed to be cleared up. But yes, recording is something I, I like doing. And I'm, I'm, I, have like, I have about 70 or 80 tunes that are in the process of being done, but aren't done yet. I'd like to get to them at some point. And I was supposed to do a blues album too for like years and years, but I never finished it. I only half did it and I never finished it. And when you listen to music, what do you sit down and listen to jazz blues? Yeah. Jazz. Most jazz. jazz. Um, blues sometimes with blues. Blues is a funny kind of music. You know, blues is the kind of thing you can play all day, but you can only listen to it for so long before it starts to sound repetitive. It's, 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 it's very fun to play and not that much fun to sit in an audience and listen to over and over and over again. But jazz, uh, swing, anything like that, you know, uh, well, but then again, I still listen to stuff from the 60s. Like, I'm still stuck on, you know, the Woodstock generation. Yeah. And um, health permitting, do you still play the drums? Health permitting. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll always play the drums. I have, like, a set, you know, like an electronic set and stuff that I can bang on and stuff. But, uh, you know, it's not... Right now, I'm concentrating a lot on these pedals. They're, uh, they're, they're, you know, they're really... I, I really wanted to do that. I wanted to get them out there. So that's what I'm concentrating on these days. And the, the, the 61 uh, Gibson that your mom bought for you all those years ago, that's, that's still your baby, right? Yeah, still around. <laughs> still around. Do you have a name for it? No, no. I never. I make it a point never to fall in love with, uh, <laughs> with an instrument. 
it's like, yeah, it's the one I'm comfortable with. I'm comfortable with. I have a lot of SGs. I'm comfortable with them, but I'll never like have like a love affair with the instrument because uh, I had one stolen once and I had one broken once, and you know, it's it's too painful. What did your parents uh, think? You know, after you got out of the hospital and and you were able to, you know, recover from that horrific episode um, after having that you know horrendous acid trip. Were they very were they supportive of your? Well, obviously your mother bought you the guitar, but what did they what did they think of this? You know, the the transformation of their son. Well, they're old. They were old school, so they didn't really understand what was going on. You know, my father was Sicilian and my mother was Syrian, and it was like, uh, what do you mean you're on drugs and you have to go to the hospital? Like they didn't understand what that was. You know, nobody really understood it. So, you know, they were very supportive. Um, and then when my name started showing up in newspapers, they were like over the moon about it. It was like, hey, why, why is your name here, you know? But, uh, but they, you know, they were, they, were, they were super supportive of it. Any regrets? I mean, obviously you went through hell. Um, and having this, you know, a psychotic episode and being in hospital at such a young age, but it also, you know, led to, I mean, yeah. you ever think what, if it never, am. yeah, I mean, if it never had that. that, without having gone through that, there's no me, there's no, and, and even the religious side of me, you know, like that wouldn't have happened without that, you know? Yeah. I mean, well, I'm a very spiritual-minded person, and I have a lot of what you might call, you know, I've noticed that, you're, that your, your show deals with uh, the occult and, and UFOs and stuff like that. I have what you might call radical views about stuff like that. Uh, me too, actually. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's uh, as an Orthodox Christian, a lot of it is, uh, I mean, conflict with it to be honest. Well, actually, it's not so conflicted if you make it simple. There's a simple answer to it. I mean, not that I want to get into the whole thing, but if... What if all of the things we're seeing don't come from out there, but come from here? Yep, that makes sense. I mean, I, I look at the whole... Um, E.T. You know what the Nephilim is? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. What if that's what this all is? I, I agree. That is that is my perspective. I, I, I think we're talking about the angelic realm here. We're not talking about extraterrestrials. Right. Uh, it's... Because because think about something. For, for just, just using logic, who would, who would not want to be found except someone who could be found? Who would hide if they couldn't be found? It doesn't Who make any hide? sense that something from 40 light years away comes and hides. Excellent point. Excellent point. Yeah. And when Eric von Daniken wrote Chariots of the Gods, he made a big deal about the mountainsides mountain having landing strips in them. Well, 
You don't build landing strips to land. You build landing strips to take off. There you go. Yeah. We have all of these sightings coming out of volcanoes, of UFOs, which is very interesting. You know, my, my feeling is that those ships that people see, and they do see them because we've seen the video, um, they're coming from like under the sea. Yes, there are multiple, multiple reports uh, of that. But ask yourself this question. Whatever beings are in those ships need ships <laughs> in order to survive. Which means yeah, well, they're immortal. Well, they're, or they're, they're, they're certainly physical beings. We tend to think of, you know the of angels of being purely spiritual, but I, I, I don't necessarily think that's true. I think Well the Nephilim you know, are the ancestors of fallen angels who had yes. children with, with the daughters of men. That's right, yeah. So we could be looking at you know, we could be seeing their ancestors. I'm not saying that's what it is. I'm just saying it could be. You know, Occam's razor is a principle of simplicity. It says that when multiple explanations for something exist, usually the one that makes you make the least amount of assumptions is correct. That's and right. We have to assume a whole lot of things to go the standard UFO route. We have to assume all kinds of things. But to simply say that it could possibly be people from here, that's just one assumption you have to make. It's a pretty good one, I think. And, uh, you know, well, you know, for, uh, as, a, as I mentioned, I'm, you know, a, a Bible-believing Christian, and, 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 and everything has to make sense to me through that, from the, the biblical narrative. And yeah. extraterrestrials coming from out there doesn't square with, with the narrative. But no, one way it does... Why I'm saying I have radical yeah. views. You know, so most people would say, well, my views on this are are, you know, too radical. But I, I do try to square everything with the Bible it's, itself. I'm, I'm a bit, I'm, I'm a theologian, actually. I study the Bible in, in the languages. So I want things to square up. Absolutely. Do you, do you and teach Bible so, classes so in Montreal? And religion, well, let's put it this way. Religion is simply science that hasn't yet been explained. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Do, do you teach uh, um, Bible classes in Montreal? I do. I do it privately with people. I don't do it like a big thing. Like, you know, there's certain individuals I'll, I'll get into it with. But, um, you know, it's 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 part of who I am, you know. I I I'm I really am a, a believer. And the interesting thing about belief is that's what most people have when they say they have faith. What they what they have is they have hope. Because real faith, real faith, is the kind of feeling you get when you simply know the sun is going to come up or go down. It shouldn't amaze you. <laughs> Excellent point. You know, it shouldn't amaze. Excellent point. It doesn't amaze me that the sun will go down or come up. That's that's the, what the feeling of faith is, and you have to have that same kind of feeling about 
biblical things to say that what you actually have is faith and not simply hope. Does your faith in, uh, inform your music? Yes, it does, quite a bit. Especially musically. It's hard to explain that. I've never believed that you could lyrically express these kind of things in a song of four stanzas. It's kind of pointless, actually. I'd rather the song would just be about the girl I met at high school. You know? <laughs> right, right. But musically, yes, because you get an inspiration to play something. Where does that inspiration come from? It's like the Bible is not translated by people. It's, it's the Word of God expressed by men, not right. translated by men. Not in we're just transmitters. We're transmitters. Right. All right, uh, Frank, we're going to take another time out, bottom of the hour here. When we come back, we'll open up the phone lines, take a few uh, calls. And we are back with Frank Marino, Mahogany Rush, legendary guitarist. guitarist. Um, my understanding is, Frank, you you uh, sort of gave up the business back in the 90s. You started a family. You were working on computers. And it was actually your fans that kind of convinced you to get back in and start playing again and touring. How did that happen? Well, I, I, the Internet came out <laughs> in <laughs> Windows 95, if you remember. You're able to get on the Internet. and So I got on the Internet and because I was, you know, I had stopped touring and stop, not stop playing, but stop touring. And uh, I found this website that, that a fan had put together. His name is Wild Willie and Willie Parsons. And I thought, how, you know, I was actually using the internet to search for something of my, you know, search for my father's uh, in, uh, ancestors. And I come across Frank Marino. <laughs> what is this? So I, got in touch with them and started talking to them and they had like a message board and stuff like that. And people asked me, once you go back out on the road again, you know, you've got a large following. And I, I didn't know, you know, I really didn't know that, that there was that much of a following. I sort of found out by, by finding it out on the internet. And so I went out and started going back out on the road again. And when you were, when you were playing in the in the seventies, late sixties, seventies, as you mentioned, after that horrible incident with acid, you never drank enough, you never drank a drop, you never took another drug. How how difficult was it for you to um, to be in that world when you know drugs was such a huge part of the industry? How did you? Well, I mean, you... people shied away from me because you know <laughs> there was a time when they thought I was a narc. <laughs> it's like this guy. What do you mean? He won't. He won't. He won't smoke. He won't do this. He won't do that. Like, what's what's the matter with him? You know. Um, but that didn't bother me that people were doing drugs and stuff. I just wouldn't do it myself. So I I never came down. I mean, I was this this acid trip didn't just end in a year. It went on for ten years before I was able to really fully comprehend what was what was happening to me. Right. Right, ten years. So you know, I just, I just, I stuck with the music. You know, I, I, I held on to the music, and the music is sort of what kept me sane. Otherwise, I might have ended up staying in a hospital and just being, you know, being a basket case. 
And how about the show business aspect? I mean, for, for, for most groups, artists, I would think, you know, being on Don Kirshner's rock concert or uh, the Midnight Special with Wolfman Jack, that would be like a highlight. Uh, I understand you hated that. Yeah, I just never really gravitated towards it, you know, like I, I'm, I'm reluctant, I'm, I'm like the reluctant guy, you know, like I was sort of thrown into being this guitarist and people coming to see me, but I was always reluctant about it and I never really liked applause, I never really liked the clapping, I never really liked the attention. And yet here I was in a three-piece band where I had to just—I had to be the singer, and the guitar player, and the songwriter, and have my name on the marquee. You know, it was—it was—it was—it's not like my character isn't like that. I'm—I'm I'm a shy sort of person when it comes to that type of thing, and I really don't like attention. Does it make you cringe when people? Yeah, it's kind of cringy, yeah. like. I would never get into limousines, you know, the rest of the band would pile into the limousines, they'd do stuff like that, I would never do that, I would rent a car, just try to be normal, in between my my gigs, if we were playing festivals, I'd, I'd leave the backstage area and go sit in the crowd, uh, you know, just to try to be a normal guy, you know, because all I ever wanted to do was come down from that acid trip and be a normal guy. And uh, so I did everything possible to, to be that guy. And then finally, I walked away from the music business, uh, you know, around 1982. I just sort of, I said, I'll make records when I feel like it. And then I started, instead of making them every year, I started making them every three to five years. Because, you know, if you don't have something to say, why do it? Frank, are you ready to take some calls? Oh, yeah, sure. All right. Let's begin with Jim in Delaware. Jim, welcome to Coast. Hey, Richard. Hey, Frank Marino, man. I got an internet radio station with like over 7,300 tracks so far and about six of your albums. And um, no, I know you did a Christian album. The most Christian would be The Eye of the Storm. You know yourself. The one song you're talking about being up at night listening to God as you're reading the Bible, right? Right. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, yeah, it's a great album. I've seen the bad reviews on Amazon. I defended uh, your your. I defend. I went against them. Their reviews as I reviewed it. Anyway, um, I think one of your most your first Christian song to me is, if you can call it quote unquote Christian, is the King who stole the universe. Yeah, that was that back would be, that that would would be the Antichrist. Because remember, I think that I hear the wind laugh when he welcomed death to his throne because he stole every star and planet in the universe. All right, Jim, thank you. Let's uh, let's get Frank to, to respond. No, I know what he's talking about. He's talking about a song that I did back in the Strange Universe days. And yeah, he's sort of, he sort of got it right. <laughs> All right, Jim, thank you for that. Uh, let's say hi. East of the Rockies, we're going. And Bob is in Florida. Bob, welcome to Coast. Hi, guys. Hi there, Bob. Hey, guys. Hi, hi. Hey, Frank, how are you, brother? I'm good. How are you, Bob? I'm doing pretty good, my friend. 
Hey, listen, I, and, and one of the reasons I wanted to call, I just and you kind of answered it, I wanted to see how your health was coming along. And um, and basically that kind of thing. And also, I'd uh, on your land of a thousand nights, the uh, song, uh, I mean, on the Strange Universe album, the land of a thousand nights. Could you go into a little bit of detail on that song and uh, well, their music? That's the nightmare. <laughs> that's that's like, yeah, that's part of the bad trip. That's the nightmare. You know, it's it's not it's not pretty. Let's put it this way. All right, Bob. Thank you for that. And uh, yeah, you you, you want to? Well, you mentioned uh, your health, and we're hoping. Praying that uh, your left hand—that's the hand, the all-important hand where you make the chords—that that that, yeah. uh, well, that comes around. Your index finger, you can't play a guitar. That's for sure. No, that's for sure. Bob, thank you for the call. Uh, west of the Rockies, Denny is in Colorado. Denny, welcome to Coast. Good morning. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. Uh, when you were in the hospital, Frank, in July of '68. Right. I was uh, in a band that had a hit record, People, named the band, I Love You, and we were uh, opening for the Who while you were in the hospital, and I'm a big fan of your guitar playing, and I also almost ended up in the hospital from acid myself. Ah. I was was 19 at the time, maybe that helped out but uh i haven't you know done any drugs for over 50 years but yeah i don't know if you remember the band you were only 13 no i don't it was called people yeah people all right and you opened for the who too young to to know about that then yeah 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 and we did festivals with hendrix and doors and janice joplin and uh, Janice, I'm the drummer, and one of the shows, Janice threw up on my drums. Oh, and uh, <laughs> after the show, she came up and apologized and gave me a bottle of Southern Comfort. <laughs> oh, my God. That's funny. All right, Denny, that's a great memory, I suppose. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, let's say hi to, uh, let's see on the wild card line. Brian is in Crestline, California. Brian, good morning. Welcome to coast. Hey, good evening, gentlemen. Happy new year. I'm on the wild card line. Cause I just wanted to relate to a very wild night, uh, way back in 1978 at it, it in a little town, the other Ontario, Cal jam two. Um, I was the, I was a 21 year old bass player in a local band. So naturally, we heard Mahogany Rush is coming to town. We we got to be there. And uh, an amazing thing happened that I that I wanted to ask you, Frank, about. Um, if you, you probably remember there was one of your tunes where you're you are doing like a slide down on the guitar, kind of like a an aerial dive bomb kind of sound. And out of the out of the night sky, a stunt plane appeared. Flew over oh, the crowd. you remembered the airplane. Yeah, and under underneath the stage lights, and um, I, I was always yeah. an aviation kind of nut. I later became a pilot, and so I don't know if you were aware of it, but 
of Mahogany Rush really rocked out the skies over the Inland Empire of Southern California that night because uh, that that went into a full-on police aerial police chase, and it and perhaps the first in the uh, history of the state of California. But uh, we watched this this chase, and I was just curious: did did you guys hire Art Scholl to do that? No, no, I didn't know where that came from. It just came. I have no idea what it was. So, Frank, you saw the airplane coming in the sky, and then you just decided to just, improvise yeah, on just, your guitar. What the heck's that? And played along with it. So, but no, I, I had I didn't know where it came from. All right, thank you for that, Brian. Uh, Bill is calling from Alabama. Bill, welcome to Coast. Hello. Hi there. Hello. How you doing, Frank? I want you to know you're a huge hero. I saw you when I was very young. I'm a guitar player, and you were very influential. I've always been resentful that you don't get the credit that you should have gotten. But well, I think, the thing I, I, think I, got, I got some. I mean, I, I'm not going to complain. You know, I, got, I, I was pretty lucky to... Well, as time has gone by. So I saw you in Detroit at the Royal Oak Music Theater. You were doing that thing in what we, you know, on the album, it was called Electric Reflections of War, but your guitar solo, at that time, in the late 70s or 80, I was probably about 14, how were you doing that, like, otherworldly church organ effect? Did you have some kind of a custom footboard or something, or how were you well, getting that thing? Basically, I was using a volume pedal, an octave divider, an echo, and a flanger. Really? This is how I imitated it, but it took me until about the mid-90s before I could get it in a, a souped-up 200-watt Marshall. <laughs> right. <laughs> God bless you, Frank. Love you, man. All right. Thank you. Thank you, Bill. When you were performing live, um, were you all were you trying to sort of reproduce what was on the record, sort of note for note, or was it more just improvise and maybe maybe the the, the song took no, on a whole new life? It was improvised. It was always jammed, improvised, and different every night. Like we had no set list. I don't believe in a set list. <laughs> And we just call out the tunes and say, let's play this and let's play that. And then just, you know, improvise it. All right. Uh, first time caller, Mark is in San Bruno, California. Mark, welcome to Coast. Hello. Hi there. Hello. Go ahead. Yes. Hi. Nice to meet you, Richard. <laughs> nice to meet you. Yeah. So uh, in 1979, we had a visitor cousin from Montreal visiting us. And he used to tell us uh, that Frank would race his 426 Hemis up and down the street. Is that true? That's right. <laughs> yeah. Actually I, was a, actually, I was a big block Chevy guy. Big block Chevy. Right. So I, I just had hand surgery. So my OxyContin right now, so I'm blurring my words. So maybe I'll come visit you, huh? All right. Well, Mark, I hope you, uh, we wish you the, a, a full recovery. Thank you for calling. Uh, I think we can squeeze in one more here if we hurry. Chris is in uh, California as well. Chris, good morning. Welcome to Coast. You're on the line with Frank Marino. Go ahead. How are you doing, Frank? So how you doing? I have a I have a question. So you know how I'm, I'm an audio engineer, music producer. I know how music goes. Have you ever felt any spirituality? I know that Mel's Hole. I don't know if you know about Mel's Hole. Had a lot of spirituality behind uh, its kind of significance. Have you ever been somewhere where where 
it gave you a little bit more inspiration or where you've gotten some type of vibe that was just different anywhere else? Are you maybe Landers, California, in a sense, where the Integratron is or, you know, Giant Rock, all the lore and uh, stuff like that? No, I've never, I've never gotten that kind of sense from a place. But I get that sense from from my faith in God. So it doesn't matter where I am. It could I could be in my house, or I could be doing a gig, or I could be under the stars somewhere. I I don't need external stimuli to feel that, and I never did. Chris, thank you for the call. Uh, once again, how uh, can people um, get a get a copy of uh, Live from the Agora Theater, and also tell us more about those uh, those custom made uh, foot pedals, guitar pedals. Well, the Agora, the Agora is at mahoganyrush.net slash DVD. That's, that's where you get that. And the pedals are at frankmarinoaudio.com. Frankmarinoaudio.com. Fantastic. Frank, a real thrill. Great to meet you. I hope we can speak again sometime. It's been my pleasure. It really has. And I wish you all the best in a, a full recovery with with your hand and um, look forward one day, hopefully, to see you out there performing live again. Thank you so much. Talk again sometime. Would love to. All right. When we come back, open lines right here on Coast to Coast.